0: Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast.
1: Good to be back, Owen, to talk about one of your favorite topics. Yes.
0: Yes. This is not a special episode, Kate. Of no, just the standard. Australian, this is a standard episode of the Australian Finance Podcast where we talk about small cap investing uh, as part of our Shares Month 2022. So if you're new here, this is Shares Month. You can go back and listen to all episodes in this mini-series where we talk about everything from getting started in shares right through to Q&A with real-life analysts. In this episode, we're talking about smaller companies, aka small caps.
1: How small is a small cap?
0: Well, that depends on who you ask and which market you're investing in. So, for example, in Australia, we might say a small cap company is a company where the total value is less than, say, $300 million. That might sound like a lot of money, but it's really not. Um, So, a large cap company, if we take the other end of the spectrum, a large cap company might be, say, Apple in the United States, which is trillions of dollars. Or here in Australia, you might have Telstra, which is in the billions of dollars. Or Commonwealth Bank, which is over $100 billion dollars. Now some people might add a further uh, kind of like I guess line in the sand here they might say a small cap is below 300 million a large cap is say up to 50 billion and then anything over that is like a mega cap but it's a really the, large range it's it's there's many ranges and you can go mid cap if you really want to but if you ask someone in in Australia what a small cap is they might say something below 300 million if you ask someone in the United States what a small cap is they might say companies below a billion So you can see how the kind of goalposts shift just because the companies over there tend to be bigger.
1: Yeah. Because we talked about blue chips as in large cap stocks the other day on our jargon episode.
0: Yes, that's it. So we talked in that episode, we talked about a few things you should be aware of. The first is we talked about market cap and that was basically the total value of all shares in a company. So if you added up all the shares and the price of those shares, all of those, the value of that, that's market cap. And we also talked about blue chip. And we said that blue chip shares were big companies with like big brands and, uh, you know, if not globally diverse operations, maybe nationally. So you could go from Melbourne to Perth, from Perth to Cairns, and you'd still see the same brands if you walk down the street or you, you talk to someone they would know what you're talking about. So we're at the opposite of the spectrum for this episode.
1: Yeah. And are small caps characterized by anything else apart from the market cap?
0: Well, there are many different things that uh, you should keep in mind. The first and most obvious one is the risk because small cap companies tend to have um, like single business models. They're so not always, but for example, let's say Commonwealth Bank. Commonwealth Bank is a blue chip company. So it's known not only in Australia, but globally. It has a huge share of mortgages, it's got a huge share of bank accounts, term deposits, online banking, brokerage through ComSec. Um, it used to have a huge operation in insurance. Um, and in like wealth management, doesn't have those two anymore, but you can get the sense that if one of those things failed, they still had all the others. Whereas with small cap companies, you tend to have like one business line. So they might do just banking or just financial advice or something like that. Um, the other And the way that translates for investors is that the smaller companies tend to bounce around a lot more. So you get a lot more varying outcomes. So one day small cap share might be up 5% or down 10%, but that's normal, whereas you wouldn't see that in, with CBA.
1: Yeah, and given that small caps are by definition smaller than things like CBA um, and potentially riskier and more volatile, why do you even bother with them?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's a good question. So when I was a professional um, investment analyst, like I was working to research investors that invested in various asset classes so let me just unwind that jargon a bit so my job was effectively to go to other experts and pass judgment on them so if they were good at their job i would say this person's recommended if they maybe said one or two things or they didn't really have a good investment process i'd say we're not we don't think that this investor is good enough so we're not going to put a recommended rating on them so my job was effectively to judge people who judged investments (laughs) it's a bit of a weird thing But what we could do is once we've done a few hundred of these Mm. uh, interviews and a few hundred of these reviews of other investors, what we've found was that the investors who focus on small companies, not just here in Australia, but globally, um, tended to have better outcomes, tended to. Not always. It's not a hard and fast rule. And there are a few reasons for that. So some people might just think because small, they can grow not necessarily, like a lot of companies that doesn't that doesn't happen. But small companies um, tend to be what we call less followed by analysts. So if, for example, you have Commonwealth Bank of Australia, I don't actually have it up in front of me right now, but with Commonwealth Bank, uh, I checked not too long ago and I think it had something like 36 professional analysts following CBA's every move. So that would be like, what are the, what's the CEO's latest commentary? Is someone going to, is an analyst at the Reserve Bank meeting to judge what's happening with interest rates? Is that, you know, so on and so forth. They're analyzing it from every direction, every moment of the day. Whereas there have been numerous instances where I've come across small companies that have no analysts providing research on them. So what happens there is this would just be like you go down to like a cafe down the street and you just have the whole like street at your disposal. You can look at every business in that street and you know no one else is looking at them. No one else is researching those businesses. So that gives you an opportunity to be like, oh, well that one's doing really well and this one's doing really well and you discover it before other people do. So this is what we would call, sometimes we call this an informational edge. We call it an analytical edge if you can analyze a business. Um, and there are many other, I guess, smaller quirks of these smaller cap companies that lend themselves to being under-researched, which means you oftentimes find that the valuations aren't as uh, rich as larger cap companies.
1: Yeah, because it's quite challenging probably to find information on some of these companies, especially if they're, they're quite small, they don't have that many employees. Mm. It, there's only so much you can find on Google.
0: Yeah, well, that's a good point you bring about employees. One thing that we look for, which we went through in our checklist, is we talk about there's like a five point checklist that we have, and one of those things is management, right? If you're the the CEO of, I don't know, let's say a company like Apple, you're Tim Cook, you might have 100,000 employees. So you've either got to have a fantastic culture and like management layer in your business, or you're not gonna be effective. Now, if you take a small cap company, they might have 30 employees. They might have 50. They might have 15, depending on how big the company is. And what ends up happening is that in those smaller businesses, if you have really good management teams, they can do fantastic things. Now, they can also do the opposite. They can take advantage of you and they can take advantage of their employees, but they can have more sway in the business. So that's another thing to keep in mind. And you mentioned the number of companies in When we talk about the ASX 200, that was that index that we talked about in the Jargon Buster episode. So those are the 200 largest companies, and that's where Commonwealth Bank would be. But outside of that, there are over 1,500 companies, right? Quite a few. Yeah, there are. Yeah, And And that's just in Australia. That's just in Australia. There's tens of thousands, over 150,000 around the world. And those are just companies that are on the stock market. Here in Australia, we have over 50,000 individual shares, or individual companies, sorry, that make over, I think it's over $2 million of revenue. So this is not just like, like these, these things are everywhere. Australia is a small business economy. So if you just, if you didn't look at small companies, you'd probably lose a lot of the opportunity set.
1: Yeah, and how do you like, given the risks involved with small caps, how do you even sort of assess how much to include in your portfolio? Like is your whole portfolio made up of small caps or?
0: No, it's not so much anymore. Um, If i was a private investor so what what i mean by that is if i didn't if my only care and consideration was my own money i would probably invest yeah most of it in small companies um you've got to remember too this is coming from a person who is a professional investor and also has a small business so i'm used to the risk like i've basically gambled all of my personal net worth (laughs) on a single company right that's what that's what a founder does yeah so for me, my risk tolerance is extremely high and I've got the knowledge of investing. Yeah. And I, so, I guess that's
1: why we put the small cap episode last in shares month because it's not something you jump into straight no. away. We usually like recommend starting up with ETFs or something a little bit uh, less yeah, scary to start with. Yeah. yeah, because I've got I've got small caps in my portfolio that might be down 50% and then they <laughs> go up 200% and then they go back down another 100%. Yeah. And this could all happen in the space of a month. And so it's it takes a lot of sort of Conviction to stick with a company when you're seeing these wild swings. One, you want to sell when it goes up 200%, and two, you also want to sell when it goes down to, well, not 200%, but 100%. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And this
0: is the thing, Kate. Um, You're right. You've been actually investing for a lot longer than I would say most of our listeners. We do a survey of our listeners, and some of them have been investing for quite a while. But um, yeah, I wouldn't. The thing is, when most people invest in small cap companies, they do it for one reason and one reason only, and that is greed they find some speculative miner in Africa that digs something out of the ground, but it, or at least it wants to, but hasn't done it yet. Or they go, oh, this new technology solves this type of disease and it's the only company in the world that can do it, trust me, and it doesn't work out. Um, but the reality is, if you think about it, most of the companies that are on the stock exchange that we say are small cap, under $300 million, yeah. they still have 50 or 100 employees. So if you were to go down the street and you were to see a company with 50 or 100 employees, you wouldn't say that's small. You'd say, oh, I work for a pretty big company. Yeah. Right? Yet on the stock market, for some reason, we think that's small, right? And this is what I just kind of want to get out there is that even though share prices of small companies are riskier, they bounce up and down like pretty wild, they actually are most of the time pretty meaningful sized businesses. And so therefore, you can still run the same checklist that we use on the big companies on the little companies. You just need to be mindful that there would be like the quality spectrum is different. Like you'll have a lot of really good companies, a lot of really bad companies. And I I bring this up because even though we say small cap shares are risky, it does not mean that all of them are risky or that all of them are bad businesses. Like for example, in our business, Kate, we have less than 10 employees. Is, Is our business bad or risky compared to one that has 200? Maybe, but maybe not. You know, we might have a really high quality small business, but it doesn't, and even though we're smaller, doesn't mean that we're riskier. Mm. It just means that we're smaller. And so I think that's an important part too. But for, for when we talk to investors, like if you're going to talk to someone, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I'm going to talk to someone about small cap investing, the first thing they're going to say is it's risky. And you can say, yeah, probably, you know, you get a lot of ups and downs. But at the same time, you know, they still are companies and you can still do your research and find out if they're good companies or not.
1: Yeah. I think it's quite interesting. A lot of those barbecue stock tips you get, the things you read about on forums or Facebook groups, they often fall into that small cap category. Like people yeah. aren't going, hey, mate, did you hear about CVA? Like it's got this great thing launching yeah, next yeah. week, get on it. They're talking about something that's really small and speculative, like the mining or biotechnology. And there are so many companies out there, as you you mentioned, like how do you even- filter that down. If you just say, I'm interested in investing in small caps and I wanna learn more about this world. and You're looking at, oh, there's like 1500 companies I could choose from. Like, how do you narrow that down into something usable? Cause there's a lot of companies that aren't investable as we'd say.
0: Yeah, I think, I didn't answer your question properly before but basically if you're, if you're starting and you're thinking about small cap investing I think you should try to get to say 10 or 20 different companies and you should start really small. So as small as possible, basically, um, because you should want to get to know the company by owning it and then it kind of gives you a buy-in so then you research it more. But to your point, so okay, so you want to get to 10 or 20 and you might want to put like you know less than 1% in each to start with, right, of your, of your total portfolio. Well, Okay, how do we get from, say, 1,500 companies just in Australia yeah. down to that list? Well, it, we follow the same the process that we did before in that we start with that massive amount and then we're looking for companies that fit our five-part checklist. So for me, the easiest way to get rid of many companies is to know that I'm probably not going to invest in biotechnology and I'm probably not going to invest in resources companies. That's not a knock on those two industries per se. It's just more to, to say that those are not within my circle of competence. If we remember that conversation where we talked about investing in shares of companies that you know well those companies I do, I do not know well. And I could if I spent years studying you know, uh, engineering or maybe if I was studying geology or biotechnology and maybe I could understand them. But for the most part, it's just not worth my time. So I kind of exclude them. And it's actually funny, once you exclude the resources companies and the biotech, the numbers go down to hundreds, not thousands. So um, that's the first thing. And then the other thing that I would do is this is a really good shortcut for people is follow other investors who you respect. And when I say this, I don't mean like Hot Copper. I don't mean Facebook. I don't mean Reddit. I mean actual investors. And the way you can do that is you can find the fund managers that specialize in small companies. So if you want to find some of them, you can go to like Livewire. Um, you can just look around at our podcast see who we've interviewed. You can jump on Twitter, mm-hmm. whatever.
1: Because they disclose usually their top five or top ten yeah, positions t- quite publicly. Yeah, they typically
0: disclose their top ten. So I'll give you the names of some um there's a guy called Tony Hansen from Sydney he runs EGP Capital um I think Joel Fleming is still at UBS that's a investment bank but at UBS microcap fund if you Google that um and there are heaps I many if you're interested just let us know in the group uh the Facebook, Rusk Facebook group and we'll give you we can a list try of and them. put a list together yeah yeah because there's heaps and um, what you can do then is every month when they or Lakehouse Small Companies Fund, Maven, although they don't really issue reports, you you can follow you can follow what those investors are doing every month, like what they're disclosing and sometimes they'll have like a paragraph about why I bought this or why we invested in that, why we sold this and it's not so much about what they're buying and selling, it's actually just learning about the companies that they are buying because then you can get a sense of, okay, what's available in the market. Two more that I'll throw out is DMX Asset Management and the other one is Merriweather Capital. Which is Luke Winchester. So you basically take that list of 1500, and you know from the outset that you're not going to invest in certain sectors, and then you basically find other investors who—it's called follow the leader, by the way. Yeah. You, You follow the the investors who are reputable, and you follow them, and you don't necessarily. This is the important part. Do not necessarily go and buy everything that they're saying. Do not do that. That's a pretty poor strategy. Instead, just use their ideas to put on, put them on your watch list and then run them through your own checklist. And that's probably the easiest way to do it.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's quite, quite interesting how you see similar companies popping up in different fund managers' portfolios. Yeah, so
0: that's what you could do. That's a good point, Kate. So you could have, say, if you just listened, if you've if you got, say, three or four fund managers which you'd like to read and you follow their reports every month, you might see that this one holds XYZ, this one holds X, Y, Z, and this one also holds X, Y, Z. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe I should take a look at that company that they're recommending or that they own. And I've done that with a bunch of uh, companies and it's produced really good results. But I I didn't just buy them blindly. I obviously went and did my own research, but that's a good shortcut because it's like, it's almost like you have a team telling you- (laughs) You Get to piggyback off. Yeah, yeah. It's like you have a team in front of you saying, we just invested in this. And they're like sending you a message and you're like, Okay, great. But it's like they're working for you if you yeah. think about it like that. So that's how we do it.
1: Yeah, because I know you've mentioned in the past, you don't get bonus points um, just for being the first person in the yeah. country to come across this particular smaller company. Like yeah. if you get the idea from someone else, like you can go and do your own research, but you don't have to be the person who discovers it to do yeah. well out of it.
0: That's a, that's the, that's the, the quote is there are no points for originality. So, you know, it, this is particularly the case in smaller companies because here, if you have the attitude of, I need to discover this for myself, yeah. you're going to miss so many opportunities because there are over 1,500. There's no way you could spend two or three weeks l- reading about this company after work or before work or whatever uh, and getting comfortable with it. You know, by the way, you don't have to spend that long, but <laughs> um, you just couldn't. It would take you an eternity. Like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger used to say that they would give people advice, start at A and go through to Z. That'd be impossible because there's like 10,000 companies in the United States. Um, so th- instead, what I'd say is use this as a short list and then don't feel like you have to be the one that comes up with the idea. You can just own it and be like, yeah, i got this idea from someone else, but then I researched it myself or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to give credit really even. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You dare. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to. And so once you've filtered down the list, so you're down to maybe a couple of hundred because you've cut companies out that aren't in your circle of competence, how, what are some red flags of other like small companies that you would avoid?
0: Yeah, so avoiding is probably easier than um, like finding things. So people – are finding positive things. So what I mean by that is when it comes to, when you've got a big like data set of anything, basically, you want to exclude because excluding is quicker. So what I mean by that is let's say you have, you got a list of 200 companies. Now in your strategy, you don't want companies with lots of debt. So the first thing you could do is you could use a tool like a free free or premium tool, like the tools in your brokerage account, or you could use something like um, Ticker T-I-K-R, which is the software that we use, or you could use simply Wall Street. Um, and basically what you could do is, you could use those to be like, I don't wanna invest in companies with lots of debt. So you could look up the company that you're researching, If it's got lots of debt, it's out. Yeah. Move on to the next one. And so you get down to this more manageable list of companies. Then you might say, okay, I'm gonna do a little bit of reading. The first thing I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna quickly Google company name management team. And then I'm going to go to their website and look at their management team. And if I realize I don't have a founder or they don't have, you know, someone that's been there for a long time, I'm going to avoid them for now. And that's because you're trying to focus on people that have been in the game for a while, that have experience, etc. The other thing that I would probably do straight away is just make sure the company is actually making money. So one of the big pitfalls and this is the risk that we have running this episode on the Australian Finance Podcast, is that a lot of people hear us talk about small cap companies and they just go for the most exciting one. And typically that's the one which has promotional management teams, like management teams that will just feed you anything and like anything you want to hear. And yet they haven't got a dime of revenue or cash flow. They haven't made a cent. They've just got this big promise that, oh, it's going to be the revolutionary technology or whatever. Um, So what I would say is look for the companies that are already making money. So it's either profits, revenue or cash flow. Um, because that will help you weed out all like the, the people that just want to suck you in.
1: Yeah, it can be a bit of a warning sign when a company's spending more time advertising to investors than to its actual customer base.
0: Yeah, that's it, yeah. And, you know, I mean, we're about to get to this, but uh, it's basically like, well, then, okay, how do you start that research process? The, one of the beautiful things about smaller companies is typically they are small. They might have like a warehouse. They might have a, um, like a single warehouse as opposed to thousands. They might have um, one office building or headquarters instead of like one in every major city. Um, They might also have, you know, employees that are just like, you can just go and talk to them. Hmm. Um, They might have only like five stores as opposed to 5,000 stores. So imagine instead of looking at Starbucks, you might get some sort of indie coffee brand that's on the ASX that you can invest in. And so what that means is you can then go and talk to people. You can go and try the products. And you know that what you're, the service that you're getting is kind of more indicative of the business as a whole. So you can go out and you can actually experience the products and services for yourself. But before I would commit that time and effort, probably what I would do is just read the first annual report that comes up when you go to the investors section yeah. um, of their website. Just read the first annual report. And I don't mean the whole thing. I just mean the chairman's letter and the, the CEO or managing director's letter, which are both at the front. And they're typically only five to 10 pages. And it's actually really interesting because they talk you through the business and what they've done that year. Um, And so that's what I do there. The other thing is that you can use like all of your internet search skills. I remember when I applied for this job, Kate, um, this job quite a few years ago, it was like a really good job at a really high profile company. And one of the key criteria was good internet search skills. And I was like, that's me, I can do that. I've been using Google for years. Mm. Um, But it's actually a really important skill for investors you can actually just use google to find out what the company does what products they sell what people are saying on forums and just get to know the business Uh, and that's basically how you do it and just one final point here is that if there are no analysts out there that are currently publishing their research it might take you a little bit longer to learn about the business but that's good because Yeah, I've got a note here that if it was easy, everyone would do it. Yeah, Yeah. because
1: some of these smaller companies, they haven't had any press coverage before. There might not Mm. even be many customer reviews online. It might be quite a lot harder to find any information.
0: Yeah, Yeah. so you you know, normally like when you say, if you're researching Apple as the company, you could go to like the Apple website, you could talk to your friends, you could do whatever. a
1: thousand different analysts blogging about it. You get
0: in the shop and just see what products they sell. Yeah, and there'd be bloggers, there'd be Twitter people, there'd be Reddit, whatever. But with smaller companies, you might be lucky to find like one person who's posted about it. Mm. And so one thing that you can do is if, say for example, you're researching a company that you're not really familiar with in terms of its industry, you might say to a friend or a family member who you know that works in that industry, they might not work for the company or whatever, have you heard of this business before? Um, You know, the, the, the really good example would have been Afterpay in the early days. You might not have used Buy Now, Pay Later, but you might have known someone that does and they might have been like, "Oh yeah, like I've used this before. It's actually really neat. I keep using it now." That's a really strong sign that Afterpay was a good product, not only for the business but for people in the industry, like for retailers. I remember when I spoke to someone who was um, who had a, uh, like a I don't know if you call it like a casual clothing line in Adelaide, but they had this store and it was quite trendy. They would do um, like online or in-store sales, mm-hmm. and Afterpay was rolling out, and they realised that they could do both online and in store and they're like oh well i'm going to start using this because people are asking for it and so the the feedback loop was like really positive there and all i would have had to have done is just talk to that Mm. woman and she would have said yeah it's really good i'm going to keep using it even if it costs us money or whatever so you know there are there are many different ways you can go and get that research i would say youtube is a great first uh, base as well but don't be fooled because a lot of youtubers (laughs) a lot of content creators have tried to hack youtube's seo and they put like company name, stock review. And then you're like, yeah, but you don't actually know anything about the company. Um, so I'd be more looking for like product videos. Yeah. So like explain the product. Uh, like We make widgets for aircrafts and this is how we do it. And there's like a some sort of lost archive video <laughs> with someone. And it's interesting. It tells you a little bit about it because you have to be like Sherlock Holmes, yeah. basically.
1: Yeah. And... One of the other interesting things that sort of I noticed with small caps is sometimes if no, as you mentioned, no analysts are covering them, no one, the media aren't really interested in the story yet. There's not much hype. Like they can just for many years, maybe even a decade, they can just uh, coast along like they don't go up, they don't go down. They just kind of go sideways for a long time until Because for the share price to go up, someone else has to be prepared to pay more than the next person. And so if no one knows about it, and no one's really interested in it, and the story's not really sexy, as you'd say at the moment, um, you might hold on to it for a long time and Mm. nothing happens. And like how early is too early to get involved? Like the company might be great, but if no one cares for a decade.
0: Yeah, so there was, when I started investing, there was this really weird theory about if a company starts paying a dividend, it's about to go up in value. That's totally not true. So I got sucked into that one. The other one was, um, you know, once a business starts earning X dollars of revenue, it's going to go up. Neither of those things through, like there's no hard and fast rule. So what I'm about to say is like, you could use all of these in tandem. Don't necessarily just say that there's one rule that their share price will go up after this happens. But yeah, if a company starts paying a dividend and it's a sustainable dividend, like it's done it for a few halves or years, that's normally a good sign that the business is, you know, it's operating and it's reaching a point where it's like more mature because typically more mature businesses do that. Otherwise, they just keep the money for themselves yeah. and reinvest Different them.
1: people start paying attention when a company pays a dividend. It gets the, uh, the retirees a bit more excited. Yeah, and it
0: gets people that are focused on income really excited because that's like the company's profits coming back to shareholders, which is really attractive. The other one is… um if a company is reaching profitability. So it doesn't have to be at profitability yet, but if it's reaching profitability, so you see when you go into the income statement, which is available in the annual report, you'll see a bit down the bottom that says, um, profit attributable to shareholders. Um, That's the line that I'm talking about. And if that's starting to go positive, that's, that's normally a good sign that the business is starting to reach what we call like, it's starting to get operating leverage, which means that its operations are starting to grow so it's earning more revenue, but its costs aren't going up. So this would be like, you know, it takes two years for a cafe to start making a profit. In the first two years, it's using money and its its revenue hasn't gone up as high because customers haven't heard about it. It hasn't got that loyalty yet. But after a couple of years, you can see that the cafe is starting to get regular customers. More people are coming because they've heard about it. And that's what I'm talking about when it starts to make a profit. There is There are many ways you can identify these companies, but... Um, You know, I'm I'm thinking in the top of my mind, I know a bunch of companies that have made it through our checklist, right? And the companies that make it through our checklist uh, and seem to be really impressive are companies that are making profits, have management teams that are kind of like, not visionaries, but they're just focused on the long term. So they're saying things like in two or three years, um, we're going to reach X number of customers or something like that. Like they've got a plan to get there. Uh, The other thing is that you want companies to generating cash flows. So this is where you go to the cash flow statement in the annual report and you'll see it there. There's a line at the very top which says cash receipts Uh, and then you can compare that to the next one which is um, cash payments to employees and contractors. So that's like what's coming in, what's going out. Um, So you obviously want that to be a positive number over time and so these are some of the the signs that a company's starting to reach a point where it's growing. Um, And altogether, it's um, it's. I would say that's probably the best way to get an indication of when investors are going to start paying attention. Because if you think about it, if you're looking for those things, chances are everyone else is looking for them too. So if you can try and get to that early, um, then you can effectively wait for those investors to come along and see. Oh, hey, this company is actually growing. Um, then you can try and preempt that a bit.
1: Yeah, and I think the other interesting thing with small caps is often they sometimes they can't recover from bad news events or um, mm. a negative report. Whereas something like Cochlear, which is a large hearing aid manufacturer in Australia, where if it has a product recall, it can bounce back. But yeah, did. some of these small caps, they might have trouble with that. Like how do you deal with the fact that one thing going wrong could tank the company?
0: So this is like a – this is bittersweet because one side of me says that if a company only has like one product or service um, – it's much easier to research and analyze because you can get your head around it. You're like, okay, it does payment terminals or it yeah. does this one type of hearing aid or something, I don't know. Um, whereas if you've got Woolworths and it's got like all of these different businesses underneath it, you know, like, oh, I don't really understand all of these different ones and how they all come together. You can actually, it's kind of the, the sweet part is that it actually makes it easier to research and you know that the management team are focused on their one thing. So just is just an example of a company here in Australia, um, which is a company I own, so full disclosure, it's called Kip McGrath Education, it trades under the ticker symbol KME, and this is not like a recommendation, this is more of an example, but um, this little company does tutoring, right? And over the years, and it's done this for decades, like 40 decades, right? And now the son's in charge and the father started it and so on and so forth. Um, now this business has never really done anything other than math and English education. And I asked the CEO about it not so long ago. And he said, yeah, well, it's because we believe that math and education are the two core pillars of learning. Once you understand those two things, you can do anything. And so there's a company that hasn't changed away from that. But, you know, if its strategy was, you know, let's do everything. Let's go and do adult education. Let's do this education. Let's do that. And let's expand here and expand there. And that's where I'd start like warning bells would start to go off because once a company goes down that road, it's very hard to come back. But sure, like if their tutoring business fails, then they're out of the game. But this is where it comes back to your question before about, you know, how how many positions would you have? How much would you put in each one? You'd only start with a very small amount in each one until each of those businesses have started to prove themselves and you get to a point where you're confident in them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's interesting trying to work out how much of your portfolio to allocate to small caps. I I almost see my small cap portfolio as like a separate portfolio to the rest. I don't really um, see it in the same, like I'll have it completely separate to my core ETF portfolio and any large caps I have just because they're completely different ways of investing and I'm investing with different time horizons and different risk profiles. So Mm. for me, it helps keeping them separate.
0: Yeah. And I would say that from everyone that's listening to this, I love small cap companies. Like I can't begin to tell you how much I love these small companies um, because I find them really interesting because they do something. I'm like, oh, that's just like the business that's from down the road. You know, and I think about this and it's not about investing. I just find it fascinating to learn about them. Like I, I was talking to a bunch of people at a wedding over the weekend and they will tell me what they do for a profession. I was like, oh, and one of them was a carpet layer and I was like, oh, cool. So how much does a carpet layer get paid? Yeah. It's like, oh, nice, okay, cool. And who makes the carpet? Oh, you've got a factory. Oh, cool, okay. So who, who owns a factory? And you can start to like, I'm just curious yeah. like, to find out like how this thing actually works. Like How do you get someone in a house, let like, to let you come in their house and pay you $4,000 to put in carpet? Like How does that go from there to here and <laughs> yeah. who makes money? The like, whole value chain and yeah, how it's The value involved. chain, that's the word, yeah, the, the, the phrase. Um, and I just love that I find that fascinating like some people aren't like that I've just made i a bit of a nerd but um, when you have small companies you can ask those types of questions and you can call management you can call the management team and typically it's the CEO that will answer or like if yeah. you go into the this is a little hack for people that are listening uh, and want, want to go down this path you can go on the, um, the ASX announcements that they have and at the bottom of the thing it will say this media release was published by and it'll have normally the CEO's name and, and their mobile his, number. His or her phone number yeah. and their email address. Just send them an email, ask them questions. Like, hey, yeah, well, how do you get the carpet from here to there? Because they're so small, you
1: know, they don't have investor relation teams yeah, they don't or have, like 50 comms marketing managers marketing people, or brand yeah. managers. It's kind of like when you're in um, primary school and you're all writing letters to your favorite authors. You can actually email these companies and they quite often respond. Yeah,
0: that's it. And so you've
1: got a genuine question. But
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'd say that one one of the things to think about is you probably wouldn't want to go down this path until you've done your research and you've built a portfolio outside of small caps. So maybe start with ETFs, then maybe try some blue chip shares. And then as you said, you can kind of build this kind of, let's just go air quotes because I don't want to say it's fun money, but I'm going to say fun money. like a, a portfolio that allows you to scratch that curiosity. Yeah, I find particularly with young men, if I say don't invest in small companies They'll go and invest in small companies because that's what they want to do. Yeah. Um, so that's okay, do it. But, you know, still have your dollar cost averaging and your, your core portfolio over to the side there and start with a little bit of money in these more exciting names.
1: Yeah, and I know if, if people are interested in learning more about small caps, you've interviewed a lot of small cap fund managers on the Australian Investors podcast that people can listen to.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we just, um, as at the time of this recording, we are due for our last episode of our 10-part series on the Investor Bootcamp. Now, as part of the Investor Bootcamp, we talk about small-cap companies and there are some small-cap investors in that group. Um, Where I would also direct people to go is to um, my friend's website, which is strawman, strawman strawman.com. And on that website, it's just a bunch of private investors, so individuals on that website contributing research. And what I love about it, is for small companies in particular there are heaps of people on there who are like if you don't live near the factory the company that you're researching is operating from there might be someone in that community who lives next door that goes and takes a photo of it and be like hey guys just reported back um here's what's going on at the factory today um and it's a really interesting community because you get to learn about these small companies um and yeah so they're like head over to the australian investors podcast um, we've got links in the show notes to the resources, but yeah, I just want to say it is important that when we talk about small cap companies, it's not like all or nothing. So you can take it slow. Um, it took me quite a number of years to realize that small cap companies are great, but it needs to, like that type of investing needs to be uh, respected because it's very easy to get ahead of yourself.
1: Yeah, you can get very excited and drawn into the hype that the news and the investors around you are bringing up. And um, I think where people often go wrong is they put 100% of their net worth into one individual small cap company and that goes wrong time and time again. There'll be one person out of a million that makes a fortune and everyone else will lose money.
0: Yeah, like say 20,000 people listen to this podcast – Do not be the one person that goes away and puts all of your money in like one company or all of it in small
1: caps. I wouldn't even do that with a large cap. Oh, yeah. No, I I, I would never put all of my money into one single company.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm a professional investor and I've held Apple, which is my biggest position. I've held that for many years. I can't even, I don't think it's over 10%, or it might be just. Um, And that's after many, many years. And it's the biggest company in the world. So that gives you an indication. I've got many small cap companies that are like, of me, like 0.5% of my portfolio or below. Um, that's not because I got a lot of money by the way, it's just because there's tiny little positions. Um, and I think that's the way you can treat it because as the company grows and as it proves its business, you can just invest more. Hmm. You know, you can't always invest less. You know, sometimes you can't get that money back. So um, yeah, and another good resource is actually RAS Media, our website, rasmedia.com.au. There are some interesting smaller companies that start in there yeah. um, and they, they get coverage there. Um, whereas they might not on other, other websites.
1: Yeah, well, we'll include all those resources that we've mentioned and some of those fund managers and the episodes from the Investors Podcast in the show notes if people want to learn a little bit more about small caps.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's a bit of the Wild West. You know, the small cap end of town can be a bit of the Wild West. You've got CEOs that want, to, want you so badly to invest in <laughs> their companies that they're going to almost say anything. You've got other investors who get really like they beat their chest and they're like, You cannot say anything bad about my company. How dare you? Get a bit of tense out there. Yeah, and social media is also can be very dangerous too if you're in an environment where someone's like, this is going to go up, this is going to go up, this is going to go up, greed, 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 greed. Um, And they might actually, who knows, work for the company. They might own shares. Like there's this really Mm -hmm. weird thing that happens in social media on Reddit and Hot Copper and all these places. People actually refer to the companies that they invest in as we. So they say things like, wait till we get to 50,000, you know, widgets. Wait till we expand into China. Wait till, and I'm like, what are you talking about we? There's no we? It's yeah, just like- Yeah, or they have the, <laughs>
1: the ticket code for the company that they've invested all their money in their bio. Yeah, yeah. I see it. that as a bit of a red flag.
0: Yeah, so remember that the companies don't owe you anything. And no matter how much you do a song and dance, it doesn't make the, uh, the company go up. So what I would say is just to keep to your checklist Be prepared to be skeptical Mm. and use those kind of like traits that I mentioned before. Make sure they're earning money. Make sure they've got like low amounts of debt. Make sure their management team have been there for a long time. These things all help you avoid those mines that are in that minefield. So, yeah, Kate, it's good fun talking about small caps. can be risky but can be exciting too.
1: Yeah, awesome. Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone.